So some still in charge of the people, you know, who can pull together and keep the people in line. Well, good morning, everybody. So I, I was, it was just fun. You know, a few weeks ago we had Mother's Day, and I had a whole praise team full of, of mothers. Uh, and this morning I thought, let's have the men's ensemble. This men's ensemble, I didn't even ask you about this. How long has this been in existence? Like 100 years? About that? They say I'm 97. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we had some fun this morning. We were talking about our ages and stuff, and we decided that between us, uh, nine of us, we got about a 1,000 years of uh, here, uh, or maybe about 900 years anyway. Uh, put it outside, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and we've decided that, that Laurie is going to be an honorary men, man today, and so is Penny, since they're in the men's ensemble today. Anyway, that was funnier in my head. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mom. All right. Let's, uh, let's stand and let's sing together. He is the chain breaker. He breaks the chains of sin, and he breaks the chains that hold us, uh, hold us down from being uh, great in the name of Jesus Christ. So here we go. Let's sing together. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies, if you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison-shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain-breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. There's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. Saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. If you believe it. Receive it if you can't feel it. Somebody testify, testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can't feel it, somebody testify. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way. Saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, the pre-service music is still playing. 
Thank you. Good morning, First Baptist. This is Clayton McKenzie, a summer intern. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, we'd love to have you fill this out and take it to the welcome desk where Dr. Cox will be there to give you a small gift. Uh, this morning, we're out here at the Jesus Tent um, getting prepared for worship, and uh, we'll take you through. So this is the Jesus Tent serving line where we have free drinks and snacks and toiletries for all the people at Bonnaroo to come get any time of the day. We also have donuts in the morning and they can come charge their phone at any time. Hey FBC, uh, we're about to start our worship service. So if you're at 830, we want you to pray for our worship service. It's about to begin in about 90 minutes. If you're at 9.45, we're about to begin in about 10 minutes. Will you please play, pray for our worship service, pray for the band, pray for me as I preach. If you're at the 11 o'clock service, we have just finished up preaching at the Jesus Tent. There are people having conversations with their decision counselors. And so would you pray for those conversations and just pray for uh, people to respond to the gospel uh, that they've heard here at the Jesus Tent. So thank you so much for everyone who has served, everybody who's prayed. Could not do this without you. Thank you. I'm Ryan Keaton with the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, and I just want to thank you for your continued partnership. Weekends like this, where we serve together, just shows what it means to be Tennessee Baptist, Southern Baptist. And so we just want to thank you for your gifts, for your donations. Things like giving to the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions goes to impact you right here, and your dollars go and you see them at work. And so we just want to thank you for your cooperation. We just want to thank you for serving. First Manchester, thank you for sharing the gospel to your community and really being a testimony for other Tennessee Baptist churches on what it looks like on taking intentional opportunities in your community to share the gospel. I'm going to pray for the services happening this morning at the tent for those who are making decisions, who have made decisions, but also for your service that you're having right now. So join me as we pray for the gospel that's being shared all across our state. God, we thank you. We thank you that the gospel has been able to be shared um, at the Jesus Tent for the last few days. And this morning, as the gospel has been shared in this service, we just pray for uh, that gospel seed that's planted to, to grow in the hearts and minds of people, whether they're here in Tennessee or whether they're going out anywhere else in the world. We pray that they'll be able to take this gospel light, this gospel seed that's been planted, and take it back home with them. Uh, we pray for the services happening at First Manchester right now. And while there's somebody probably sitting under the sound of my voice who hasn't responded to your gospel we pray that they will this morning we thank you for cooperation we thank you for your son jesus whose his name is the banner in which we serve all of this under um, it's in his name that we pray amen. thank you amen amen there's some ministry going on out there let's keep them in our prayers all right will you stand and let's sing together because he lives amen Oh, 
Speaking of fathers, we serve a good, good father. You know this song. Sing it with us. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me. That you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am because you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. speak in peace so unexplainable I, I can hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love love It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by 
Praise God. Oh, Lord, we come before you this morning just thanking you for who you are, that our identity is completely tied up in you, Lord. We are who we are because you are who you are, and that is that we are children of yours. We are loved by you. We are forgiven by you, Lord. You are the good, good Father. And so we thank you, Lord, for that. We pray now as you Take us through this service that, that, Lord, that we'll hear from you in a mighty special way today, Lord. As fathers, help us to, to mimic the good father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I'm grateful for the men who are on this platform, the fathers that they are. I've had the privilege of knowing the children of almost all of these. I thank them for their friendship, for their example, for their integrity, for their Christian faith. Uh, what a joy it is to hear them, and an even greater joy to know them and be blessed by them. Good morning. It's good to see you today. So glad you're here on this Father's Day to worship with us. I'm going to be sharing about the family today. I believe that families are critical to the church. They're critical to individual well-being, and they are critical to our nation. And I think that many of the problems that we face as a nation comes from a failure of the family. And uh, if we're going to have an impact upon our country, it'll largely be through families. So today, I want to share with you a negative example of a family. I want to share with you from the Bible an example of a messed up family. I'd rather learn from other people's mistakes than repeat them myself, hadn't you? And so we're going to look at a bad family so that we can avoid or that we can correct uh, some of these things in our family. This family is described in the first book in the Bible in Genesis. It is the couple, Isaac and Rebekah, married couple, and their two twin sons, Esau and Jacob. <clears throat> even, before, <clears throat> even before they were born, these two twin boys, the Bible says, struggled or jostled in the womb with one another. They were fighting even before they were born. That should have been an indication right there of the conflict that was to come. And they grew up, these two boys, to be two very different children, uh, two different brothers. We're going to look at three relationships today. So almost all of you can identify with one of these relationships. We're going to look at the relationship of parents to children and children to parents going to look at the relationship of husbands to wives and wives to husbands. And we're going to look at the relationship of siblings, brothers to sisters, brothers to brothers, sister to sister. This family was messed up in all three of these relationships. These two boys grew up to be different. Let me read to you beginning in Genesis 25 verse 27. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. You ever have kids and they turn out different? They're, they're, they're individual people. I'm an only child. I had a first child. I thought, okay, I got I'm with this. Then I had a second one. He's different. I didn't know they were going to be different. Nobody ever told me that before, but they are. The problem is that uh, Isaac and Rebecca's parenting was messed up, and they did not show God-like love to these children. They showed selfish love. Uh, they were messed up in their parenting. Let me read to you the next verse, verse 28 of chapter 25. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. They played favorites, and their love was what they wanted their children to be. They didn't accept their children as there was, they were. Uh, Isaac didn't accept Jacob as he was. 
His was a self-centered love. He loved the taste of wild game, and his older son was a hunter, and he could supply him with that wild game. And so it was a self-centered kind of love of wanting those kids to be what he wanted them to be, not what God wanted them to be. They failed in their parenting. And the brothers were messed up in their relationship as well. The next verse says, Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished, and he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. Edom means red. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. In their culture, the older son had some rights and privileges that other children did not have, chief of which was a double portion of the inheritance. And Jacob, in greed, was manipulating his brother at a point of weakness. And uh, his was not a godlike love either. It was a self-centered love. And he said, okay, I'll give you some stew. You give me the right of the firstborn. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Esau traded the spiritual for the physical. Uh, he did not, did not value what God had given him, and they are messed up in their rivalry to one another as brothers. And finally, the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah was messed up as well. And so when Isaac became old, he was almost blind, and he wanted to bless his son Esau before he died, the eldest son, and he called him to him and said, you know how I love that wild game that you hunt. Go out and hunt and bring me some and prepare it for me and I'll eat that meal and then I'll give you the blessing of the firstborn. Well, Rebecca, his wife, overheard this and let me read to you part of the story beginning at verse 5 of Genesis 27. Now, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau and when Isaac left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I'd appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So Rebecca is not respecting her husband. She is attempting to manipulate her husband for her own gains. And there is not a team. A marriage is to be a team, a partnership on the same page pulling together and they are rivals and they are in competition and there's not trust and there's lying and deception between them. And so this whole family is messed up. It says in chapter 27 verse 5 or, or excuse me chapter 27 verse uh, 41 Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. So Rebekah's ruse worked, and Jacob fooled his father, and uh, he gave the younger son the blessing, and Esau found out about it, and he held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the day of mourning for my father are near. My father's not going to live much longer, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Rebecca was told that her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? But then Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this, this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. 
So again, she's manipulating her husband. She's sending her son away to protect her favorite son from the rage of his older brother Esau, but she tells her husband, I don't want him to marry one of these uh, people outside his faith from this Hittites who do not worship the God of Israel, and I'm afraid he'll marry outside his faith, and so I want to send him away. And so again, she's manipulative. She's deceptive. She's not telling the whole truth. They're not a team and she sends, and so Isaac agrees to have let Jacob go to his uncles. Well, verse 9 of chapter 28, Esau realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Jacob, or his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebalath, and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So he hears that Jacob has been sent away so he won't marry one of these non-believers, these local women. And so what does he do? He spots his parents and, oh, they don't like this? Then that's exactly what I'm going to do. And he goes and marries one of the Hittite women out of spite. Spite is anger that wants to get back at someone. You become so angry at a family member that, or an ex-family member that you, in spite want to hurt them. And he wanted to hurt his parents because he felt he had not been treated fairly by them. Do you see that this whole family is messed up? Now, let me just sort of summarize, if I may, five of the sins. I want to show you a list of five of the sins that we've seen here in this family. There may certainly be more, but I think these are some of them. And I'm just asking you this morning, as we look at the Word of God under the illumination of the Spirit of God, is God saying anything to you about any of your family relationships in these areas? Because it's better for us to learn from the negative example of a dysfunctional family in the Bible that we could be what God wants us to be in our families. So first of all, there's lying and manipulation in this family, right? Brother to brother, husband to wife, they're, they're lying to one another, they're manipulating each other. Is there any of that in your marriage? Kids, is there any of that with your parents? What God wants is there to be openness, honesty, trust, and truthfulness. And so if you're trying to get your way by manipulating your siblings, manipulating your brother, manipulating your parents or your husband or your wife, would you see the fruit of that kind of manipulation leads to a, a destroyed family? Would you repent of that? Is there any rivalry and competition in your family between your siblings or between husband and wife? Some husbands and wives are sort of like rivals. They're trying to one-up each other. God wants you to be a team. He wants you to be partners. He wants you to be on pulling in the same direction. He wants you to let go of selfishness and favoritism. He wants you to let go of your own agenda and be under his agenda. Is there any anger and spite in your relationships? Have you been hurt? Maybe you've been hurt. But has that hurt festered into spite where you want to get back at your spouse or your parents or your siblings? Is there disrespect? You know, the New Testament tells us when it summarizes in Ephesians 5, the way a wife is to treat a husband, it says, husbands, love your wives and wives respect your husbands. And this couple had lost respect for one another. and They were disrespectful, and Rebecca didn't respect her husband. There was disrespect of these children to their parents. Kids, let me ask you, are, are you respectful of your parents? The Bible says when you're a minor child to obey your parents, and it says for all of us of all ages, honor your father and mother. And so, but simply by role, not by their performance of how they raised you, but simply by their position, they're worthy of respect. You may not agree with everything, but you can show respect. And, and Esau wanted to spite his parents for how he had been slighted by them. And the root of much of their problem was greed. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And Jacob was a greedy person. Rebecca showed that kind of greed. Is money destroying any of your family relationships? Is there any rivalry between your siblings over money? I see it so often as parents age and siblings begin to, to fight and have a rivalry over an inheritance or over possessions. 
Greed is the root of a lot of our division. I'm just asking you, is God saying anything to you on this Father's Day about some repentance, about some change that needs to take place in your family? How did Isaac and Rebekah's family get like this? It didn't start out this way. It started out great. Let me go back and tell you the beginning of this family unit so that you can see the distance they've come because I want you to see that even if you have a good beginning, there needs to be in your marriage and in your relationships a continued maintenance because a good beginning does not guarantee a good end. And maybe you've drifted. So let me take you back to the, uh, to the beginning. Abraham had moved from where his people were, his extended family that worshipped the one true God, to a land that God had sent him to, the land of Canaan. But when his son became of age, he did not want him to marry one of those local women, not a racial or an ethnic prejudice, but a uh, spiritual prejudice, which is a good thing. You ought to marry within your faith. And so he prayed, the Bible says, for his son to be able to have a wife. And he sent his servant, after he prayed, back to the land he had come from to find a wife for his son Isaac. And this servant took this seriously, and he went back to that land, and he prayed, Oh, God, guide my journey. And he said, Would you send me the, the, the girl who helps me water my camels, that I could just have this sign to know, and here comes Rebecca out and waters her camels. And he, he gives her gifts and asks to go home. He talks to her extended family and tells him his master's desire and why he's there. And he says, Rebecca's the one. And they say, Rebecca, will you go with him? And Rebecca says, I will. And she and her attendants leave and mount their camels and leave their family and go to this, marry this man they've never met. And let me just read you a couple of verses from uh, chapter uh, uh, 20, uh, from uh, uh, chapter 24, verse 62 and, and following, it's, it reads like a movie. It reads like a love story. You got the sun setting like a big ball behind the horizon. You got Rebecca and this servant coming over the horizon on these camels. And here's this man walking in the field, praying and meditating. And Rebecca says, who's that man? And the servant says, that's my master. Or in other words, that's your future husband. And he looked up and saw them. And Rebecca pulled her veil. And the music starts to play. And they come, let me read it to you. Chapter 24, beginning at verse uh, 62. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, where he was living in the Negev. And he went out to the field one evening to meditate. The sun is setting. And he looked up. And he saw camels approaching. And Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. And she got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who's that man in the field coming to meet us? He's my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah. And he married Rebekah. So she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted. After his mother's desk. Oh, what a great love story. How does it go from there to where we see it in chapters 25 through 27? I don't know. But, but I know this. Good beginning is so essential. Marry somebody in your faith. Marry somebody you love. But a good beginning doesn't guarantee a good end. You need to maintain those relationships. And, and there's the potential if you don't maintain your marriage and and maintain respect for your parents, and maintain sibling relationships, there is a real potential that those relationships like this one drift apart, and they become, love stories become bitter, and spiteful, and rivalries, and competitions. And so, as I counsel couples in marriage, I wonder sometimes, how did it get this way? I don't know what I can do with this mess. And sometimes I long for, oh, if I could have talked to this couple maybe 10 years ago and said, do you see the directions that you're heeding? Do you see the little things that are leading to big things? Don't you want to make a course correction now so that you don't wind up in a rivalry of anger and spite and manipulation? 
And I would just say to you today, maybe there needs to be a course correction there. One of the glimpses we have in these intervening years is a time when Isaac and Rebekah, earlier in their marriage, where they went to Egypt and lived, and Isaac lied about his Rebekah being his wife and said he was she was his sister. That doesn't make any sense to us. But in their culture, a brother would be protected. A husband might be killed so you could take the, the woman. And so he started this pattern. I'll read it to you in chapter 26, verse 7. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she's my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful. And I just wonder if this early pattern of lying didn't blossom into that larger pattern. In other words, Rebecca learned a lie from Isaac. And the little lies that he told created a pattern of deception and manipulation in their marriage. And so I'm just saying to you today, are there any things in your relationships that maybe God's saying to you today, you don't want to end up like this. Are there some corrections that God is calling you to make even here today? To say, I, I, I want to I want to get back on track. I want to cut, recover that respect and love in our relationship. I want to offer you two words of, of encouragement in, in conclusion, okay? Number one, God can heal messed up families. God can heal messed up families. As bad as they get, God is greater. And did you know that this family experienced some healing and reconciliation? Jacob left home and ran from his brother and from his parents for 20 years. But 20 years later, his heart began to soften to his brother, and he reached out to his brother. I read it to you in chapter 32, verse 3 and 4, just reading you a snippet of these stories. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, and he instructed them, this is what you're to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now, and I have cattle and sheep, and I'm sending them to you. And he, he sends these gifts ahead of him, hoping for some reconciliation for the brother. How will he respond? Does he still want to kill him? Will he be able to appease his brother? pacify him. Could there be any reconciliation? They get closer together and Jacob on the final night before they meet, still not sure what his brother's reaction will be, spends the night alone before crossing the Jabbok River and he prays and he wrestles with God. And that next morning in chapter 33 verse 4 it says he's he had sent these gifts ahead, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept and Esau looked up and saw the women and children and said, Who are these? And Jacob answered that the children God has graciously given your servant. There was reconciliation even after all that had gone on and the desire to murder him. God can heal broken, dysfunctional families. His power is greater. And so maybe you are in a sibling relationship and you have not gotten along with your brothers and sisters. You can't control the actions of another person. You, but you can control your actions. Is the door open for reconciliation? Are there people you need to forgive? Are there things for which you need to be forgiven? Do you need to take the posture of Jacob and go to someone? What about with your parents? What about with your children? Again, you can't control all the actions of others. But you can control your posture. And God can heal. What about in your marriage? God can heal marriages. And maybe today you need to repent of some of the sins in your marriage. And you need to say, God, I need a course correction. I don't know where, I don't like where this is going. I want to come back to you. The power of Jesus Christ is greater than the power of any sin. And God ultimately gave us what we need in our families by sending His one and only Son to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead, that if we put our faith in Him, we can be forgiven and we can let go of spite and bitterness toward others. Second encouraging thing that I would say to you today, not only can God can heal messed up families, God can work through imperfect, broken families families. 
I want to go to the New Testament and read to you Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Here's how the New Testament begins. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. God gave us Jesus through this messed up family. Can you believe that? That's a word of encouragement to you. Your family may not be perfect. You may be here on a Father's Day today, and you're a single mom, and it's sort of a tough day for you. And that's not the way it was supposed to be. God ordained for a kid to have a mama and a daddy. That's the way it ought to be. That's the best. A lot of our problems in our society today are becoming, they have not had dads who are role models and live before them. But listen, you can't control what you can't control. You make the best of where you are. Timothy had a fatherless home, and he turned out to be one of the great apostles of the world. You may have a prodigal that is not going to contact you on Father's Day. You can't control that, but I'm saying to you, you can make the best of where you are. You may be in a marriage where your husband doesn't come to church with you. It's not ideal. It's not the best. Listen, we're in a messed up world. You know what? God loves sinners. God works through messed up people. He'll work through dysfunctional families. You make the best of where you are. You live with courage and without compromise. You give God glory for the good things. Look for the good. Don't look for the bad. Yeah, there's some bad with your kids. There's some bad with your parents. Don't look for the bad. Look for the good. Thank him for the good. It could be worse. This is probably worse than where you are right here. Unless, unless you've had murders, and I don't know, it's probably worse than where you are. It could be worse. God can work through messed up families. You ought to be encouraged to that. I want to share with you the story of my uh, parents. Uh, in the mid-1950s, my mom and dad were in their 20s. They were a young married couple. And they weren't in church regularly. They both grew up in Christian homes. They both grew up going to church, but like a lot of young married couples, they'd sort of gotten out of that habit. And they were in church one Sunday in the mid-1950s, and a pastor preached a sermon on the home. And my mom and dad, in their 20s, walked hand in hand to the front and knelt down and prayed and said, we're going to have a Christian home. We're going to get in church together. And they started doing that. And I was born about a year later. And I think, where would I be if they had not responded to the Word and the Spirit of God that day? Would I be standing here? I don't know. Would I know Christ as my Savior? I don't know. I'm thankful that my parents, even though they didn't always do it the best, there was a time in their life when they said, we're going to honor Christ in our home. And they came and knelt at an altar. And it made all the difference. My dad became a deacon. My mom became a Sunday school teacher. I was raised knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior. So we're going to have a time of invitation. I've asked Penny if she will play Just As I Am, three verses of Just As I Am. We're going to ask you to stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And if today, maybe there's a couple here today who wants to come and kneel here and say, we want to commit our home to God. Haven't been in church, or we've gotten off track when we get back on church. Or you, maybe you just want to recommit, we're on track, and we want to stay there. We don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to fall prey to Satan. I want to invite you to come. Walk down here, kneel. We'll give you time to pray. We won't cut you short as long as you need to pray. We'll keep, keep it open. Maybe when we're standing there with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, some of you have had a good start, and you've got a little off course, and they're in marriages. We just need to take, reach over and take the hand of your spouse to say, I want to recommit myself to you and to God. Maybe I need a little course correction. Or maybe we got a great marriage and we just want it to keep going. I want to just take my hand in your hand as a sign of that. Maybe you, just where you stand, have a brother-sister relationship that's broken, a parent-child relationship that's broken. And you just where you need to stand, need to say, God, I commit my family relationships to you. I can't control other people, but I can control how I act, how I talk what my attitude is. I repent of any sin. I draw near to you. I want my family to be the best that it can be from my perspective. Would you stand together with me? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? God speaks to you. 
This is a time for you to come forward. You can come and join our church. You can come and accept Christ as your Savior. I'll be here waiting for you. You just walk forward. You can come and pray. Whatever you need to do, we'll give everyone time. Easy time to come and confess your faith in Christ while we're waiting with our heads bowed. You come on right now. One more time through, Penny, while people are praying. Thank you. One more time through. Amen. Thank you. May God seal those commitments that were made. You may be seated for a moment. Let me give you instructions. At this time, we're going to have you vote, if you're a member of First Baptist Church, on our deacon council and nominate new deacons in your bulletin is a ballot. We're going to take those up right here in a moment. You would need to complete it in this worship service. So first of all, if you didn't realize that, didn't get a worship folder, and you're a member of First Baptist Church, and you need a ballot, would you raise your hand, and an usher will bring you a ballot down while I'm talking. So, hey, ushers, there they come right there. So keep your hands raised. Thank you, guys. And uh, raise your, keep your hands raised while I'm talking. They'll get to you eventually. Do we have anybody in the balcony that needs one? Do we need to send an usher up there? Okay. So what you'll do, I'll give you instructions. Look at the side that says Deacon Council Election Ballot. You need to be a member of First Baptist Church. If you have children who are members, they can vote. Parents, please supervise the voting of younger children. You'll vote on this page for up to five people. You'll put a check mark or an X by five names. If you vote for more than five, your ballot will be disqualified. You can vote for less than five. Maybe you're new and you don't know five people. You can vote for one or two. So on the Deacon Council election side, uh, you vote for up to five. 
on the other side, uh, you nominate up to two new deacons to be ordained and begin serving in our deacon family ministry. Now, the list at the bottom is not the list you choose from. Those are the ones you don't choose from because they're already ordained deacons. That's just provided so you will not duplicate. So all every year somebody circles some of those names that has to be thrown out. So you'll need to write, if you're nominating one person or two that you've spent some time praying over, you'll need to write those. Give, take as much time as you need and fold that with deacon council election on the inside. Fold it once from top to bottom with deacon council on the inside. New deacon nomination on the outside. And then if you'll turn it where that list of names is, you'll have some privacy as you uh, pass it to the end. The names will be down. You'll have some privacy whenever you're ready. Uh, I'm still going to share some announcements. So you've got a little time. Whenever you're ready, you can pass them to either of these two center aisles and our ushers will come and collect them. Uh, so you can start passing them whenever you're ready. I want to share with you on Wednesday nights. This Wednesday, we continue our... Um, Outdoor worship had a great start, about 200 people last Wednesday night. This Wednesday at 6.30, Snow Bros, uh, Snow Cones will be there at 5.30, and uh, then all the way till afterwards, it starts at 6.30. Nothing better than hearing the Word of God and eating a snow cone, is there? So snow cones at 5.30, service at 6.30, bring a lawn chair. Hey, I need, uh, I have a group help me each week. I had Seniors did a great job last week. So this is juniors, rising seniors, those who've just completed junior year. I need your help this Wednesday at 6.30. Hope you'll join us for that time of worship. This Thursday is a Moms Night Out event for mothers. This Saturday is one of our hope events, healing painful experiences. It's for those who've experienced the pain of an abortion. If you know someone who's been through that life experience, there'll be women sharing testimonies. There'll be inspiration and music. It's a great ministry to people who are hurting. So if you know someone who's been through that, invite them to come. Come with them. Anyone is welcome Saturday from 5 to 7, one of our HOPE events. We have a group in Guatemala of students who are there on a mission trip. We pray for them today. You've already heard about the Jesus tent. We pray for them. Students from Guatemala will be returning Tuesday evening. Please pray for them during that time. And I want to introduce our new director of missions, Matt and Lana Ledbetter. Would you stand where you are and just wave right there so that folks can put a name and face together? Welcome. We're glad you're here. So, uh, Matt is four weeks into that, brand new. He is our director of missions for Duck River Association, 42 churches in uh, Coffee Franklin and uh, Grundy counties, and we thank God for him and Lana. Welcome to them from eastern North Carolina, Mo just moved here. Thank you, glad you're worshiping with us this morning. All right, while I was talking, did they already collect your ballots? Ray, lift your ballot. Okay, hey, ushers. Hey, ushers. Ushers. Hey, Craig. Send them in. Hey, ushers, we are waiting on you to collect these ballots. Thank you very much. We'll lift them up at the ends, pass them to these aisles in the balcony. Would someone collect those and bring them to an usher, please? Thank you for doing that. And um, raise them up. We're going to give you time. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stand here that we've got those collected because we don't want to miss anybody. And so... Uh, they will get to you, and they'll make a way back up the aisles in a moment. It raise them up. It, we, other than these, uh, still got some over on this side. We good in the balcony? We good up there, okay. All right. Uh, after that one's collected, we got everybody? Thank you for sharing in this process. Isn't it great to hear this men's ensemble? This will be our closing. This will be our closing. After they sing, you are dismissed. Let's worship again. Thank you for being here with us at First Baptist Church today.
hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it's closer now than it's ever been. I can almost hear the trumpet. Midnight cry will be going home when Jesus steps out on a cloud to call his children. The dead in Christ shall Amen. We are dismissed.